It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> I almost said howdy because that's uh that's usually what I say, but I um I'm a combination of exhausted and exasperated. So high is about all I had. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're getting all ready when you've got all that stuff going on. So there's lots of stuff going on. Um so today we are going to be following up sort of off of one of the topics that you and Les touched on on the last natural beekeeping episode that mm -hmm. aired on Monday, November 1st. And in that one, that was the natural beekeeping corner part eight. And you guys talked about mainly the intensity thresholds <laughs> of how many hives can fit on any certain piece of land based on the available forage there and, and what yes. happens when you go through that. But you guys also touched on the importance of your queen and the queen's genetics. And mm -hmm. you touched on some aspects related to honey. There was yes. a little, little blip in there mm -hmm. about, please don't be this person. And I thought that this would be a good forum to segue just that section over and go through and actually have a conversation about that. So mm -hmm. Um, before we get started, I will, I will give a story that I may have told on the main podcast way back in season one, and I'm old enough now that I can't remember if that actually happened. <laughs> so this may be a repeat story, or this may be a new story. I don't know. <laughs> but when I first moved to Austin and decided that I was going to be going into beekeeping from a hobby perspective over into like a commercial, well, not commercial, but a business perspective, uh, where it wasn't just going to be, I'm going to have a hive in my backyard and that's going to be, you know, a hobby. It's now going to be business income and everything else. And I was looking at all of the requirements that were for the state of Texas specifically to sell your honey, mm -hmm. everything that went involved with that and everything else. And I spoke to another beekeeping individual here in the same town and was kind of, you know, just discussing like a sounding board, discussing some of the ideas and things that I was planning on doing. And I was told very, very early on right up front that I needed to start planning on buying honey wholesale and then repackaging it as my own and reselling it because if I sell my honey in a store, say I find a nice little niche market somewhere and I sell my honey there and they find out that it is an amazing product and that it's a good selling product. And then all of a sudden I run out. Well, then they're just going to go through and they're going to replace me with somebody else. And therefore you lose your, your footing and your traction customer. on that customer base. So at that point I was like, well, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because I want- no, I know I don't. Right, I don't exactly. agree at all. <laughs> I know you don't agree at all. And, and that's how I was initially is I was like, well, but I, I don't know that I agree with that. And that's fine if that's the path that you chose to go down. Mm -hmm. But me, myself, the vision that I have for mine is, you know, educating everybody on where the honey comes from, what the honey is and how the process works. And part of this selling point is that my honey is unique. My mm -hmm. honey is finite. And, and it is seasonal. Yes, it's it's authentic. It's it's artisan or artesian, however you want to say that. Um, but the whole point of it is, is that it is seasonal. It is finite and it fluctuates with the years. It fluctuates with the seasons. And some years, as we've discussed on the podcast before, we have bountiful flows of nectar mm -hmm. and honey and other years, it just tanks. And so this year, Oh, by the way, I was on the news yesterday or day before oh, you yesterday. Were. I was what on the happened? news day before yesterday um, in regards to this actual topic, in regards oh. to honey specifically. Okay. Um, but the fact of how the winter storm is still having lasting impacts on farmers and beekeepers and things. And one of the things that I brought up in that interview was the fact that we only produced, myself, my business only produced one sixth of the amount of honey that we would normally produce on average due to the winter storm. So that also means that this year, 
that honey is even more rare and more desirable because there's mm-hmm. a very, very limited amount of it out there. So you educate your consumers, you educate the clients and, and the people that come around and are interested so that they understand and they know this honey is from me and you know exactly where it comes from. You can come visit the bees, and but, but then it's gone when it's gone. And right. next year it will be back and you can come and you can buy more. And I try to even parcel my stuff out because like the comb honey, I can sell out a comb honey in a day. Right. So I have to set limits on, you cannot buy more than five jars because I've got to allow it to spread. I've got mm-hmm. other vendors that want it. I've got other people that are on waiting lists every year exactly. for it. And they're on that waiting list because they love it. They want it and they're willing to wait for it. So was it beneficial to me to go down the avenue that I was told I needed to go down? No, it was not. It was better for me to have my own sense of ID, uh, my own sense of identity and have my own morals and values and standards when it came to my bees and my honey and my production versus ethics. ethics. There you go. Honey ethics, ethics and honey. Mm -hmm. And it was better for me to do that than it was to have the dollar signs of, but I've got a continuous flow of honey and money coming back in from the honey if I buy and resell from other individuals. So that's kind of the lead into this. And you guys touched on that. And, and you had this little brief moment where you and Les were both like, please don't be that individual who goes and buys honey from other beekeepers, mm-hmm. repackages it as your own, and then continues to sell it. And Les did have a caveat that was, Basically, the only time he's done that is when he Mm -hmm. had a really good friend that he knows and trusts that produced Mm -hmm. honey in another country. And he actually bought that honey, imported it in, went through all the regulations he's supposed to. But when he sold that honey, he sold that honey as this is so-and-so's honey that is my friend and I am reselling it for him. Correct. He disclosed every single, you know, fact about it. Yeah. Um, He did not go through and change it up or do anything that was off topic with it to make it seem like it was his, he wasn't doing anything deceptive. That's, that's really what I want to say with that. Right. Yeah. Don't get me started. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I that's, have a lot to that's say the whole about point. all this stuff. Uh, I want you to get started. That is the whole point. This is well, what we're talking about. Today. You know, it kind of all started in the twenties, 20, I think it was, um, 11 or I forget which year exactly it was there was a big scandal about the honey laundering right and things started coming out about importers that were buying bulk from different countries uh, some of which were just relays for even other countries and they were mixing it mixing in a lot of like syrups and other things um, to dilute that honey. And, and in the end, it was more of a sweet syrup mixed in with a little, maybe a little bit of honey um, to pass as, uh, as the real stuff. And uh, that was getting repackaged and sold in grocery stores, driving the prices down. And it still happens, by the way. Um, and it was making it impossible for beekeepers uh, to compete because volume and, and low prices made it impossible for them to compete on 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 that um so that was a big scandal and a lot of this is still happening and it's still uh beekeepers that are um i mean the feds got involved at that time and that kind of calmed things down but there's still countries that are importing and the big culprit is um china is doing a whole lot of the counterfeiting of their selling rice syrup and all kinds of things that they promote Mm -hmm, high fructose corn syrup and that it promote uh, as being able to pass all those tests and yeah. not be recognized as uh, fraudulent. Right. And so, that's actually how it is. That That's the whole point is they're literally marketing it to their buyers that way. Mm-hmm. We can get you this cheaper product that tastes the same. It's just as sweet. And it will pass the standardization tests so that you can pass it off as real honey yeah. and it's not. So that's the industrial version of what we just talked about. But if we stay at the local level, that still happens where you've got, what happens is that in the honey industry, you have uh, packers, uh, big honey packers that will buy bulk and just sell in smaller bulk. And then you have the local beekeepers that have stores that tend to want to sell that honey because there's an endless supply of customers that are always going to want to buy their, their honey. And they're going to say, well, it's local. It's not necessarily local. It's been bought from bulk retailer, uh, bulk um, suppliers and packers, 
and uh, and then they, like you mentioned, they will rebottle it and put their labels on them. Yeah. So one one little side note there to that, and we Ken and I talked about this in the first or second. I think it was the first season of the podcast. We talked about the the honey packers and distributors themselves. Mm -hmm. There is one. Well, technically, there are two in the Austin area that are major quote unquote packers or producers of honey. They call themselves honey producers and yes. they are able to sell their honey with an actual local sticker, big yellow yes. local sticker that yes. says that it's local. But really the only thing with that honey that is local is that it was actually packaged and bottled Package. in Austin. That, but that honey, honey doesn't never, come anywhere near no, Austin. Not from Texas bees. Right. That's and for sure. so you've got that bigger commercial aspect of it. But then you've also got, you've got accidental and intentional adulteration of honey, even at the individual beekeeper level for people that have smaller operations mm -hmm. where you can accidentally overfeed the sugar syrup and they can yes. pack it in there and cap it. And then later when you go to extract it, you don't necessarily know what was capped sugar syrup versus what mm -hmm. is capped nectar and honey. And it's it may cold. get mixed in there, but there are, funny honey. yes, there are other beekeepers though, that will intentionally feed mm -hmm. the sugar syrup in mass quantities during the nectar flow because the nectar, depending on the different season, especially the taste of honey is so strong. It can overpower things that don't have a flavor like corn syrup or sugar mm -hmm. syrup. Um, those different types of things that they use to adulterate it. So even table sugar mixed in to feed the bees can very easily be overpowered with the flavor of the right. other nectars and honeys. And then therefore you taste it and you're like, Ooh, this is honey. But in reality, it may be, you know, 50% or more sugar mm -hmm. syrup that was fed to the bees. So that can be done on accident. That can also be done on purpose. And that's, right. that's a larger thing outside of the, the, the different ways that you can be deceptive or unethical in your honey production. That's exactly right. And, and to the extreme, and I hate to come back to specific countries, but in China, and I was there, um, I have bought honey both in comb and as liquid and brought it back to the US. And I ended up never ever touching it because it's actually hypersaturated with illegal um, uh, antibiotics and things um, that are not legal in the United States that could be potentially dangerous. Um, or not potentially that are dangerous um, and, and, and can create antibiotic resistance. Uh, the liquid honey that I had brought back ended up separating completely in two layers. You could see there was two different kinds of liquids in there and overflowing uh, in a way that told me that there was too much actual liquid in too there. Too much moisture. So in, if you don't know that, but it happens that they will force feed, they will take all the honey and force feed the bees endlessly with that sugar syrup all the time and keep harvesting, keep feeding the sugar syrup. And that's not really real honey, like you were saying, mm -hmm. but that is also true. Usually I tell my customers, if it comes in comb, it's, it's, you can't tell it hasn't been adulterated, but this right. is one way to get around it. So you that's really true. have to know your beekeeper because even in the comb, um, this, it could be still sugar syrup in there. Yeah, very well. Good. And that, see, that's a great point. So this is, this is a double-edged sword. So anybody listening to this who is an ethical individual mm -hmm. can sit there and go, oh my God, I never thought of that. And, right. you know, I need to be aware and I need to educate, but also anybody, unfortunately, listening to this, who is unethical can go, oh my God, I never thought of that. I'm going to have to try it. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully so, <laughs> that's not the kind of people that are listening to this. <laughs> right. Right. That is, that is also a big hope uh, <laughs> for certain, but so, so you've got all these different ways that it can actually be misleading or misrepresenting mm -hmm. or how completely unethical or even illegal. Right. Well, it, and in the adulteration aspect of it is actually very much mm -hmm. illegal. That is the it's number. Technically, it goes back and forth between number one and number two. Most adulterated products right now on the yes. market for food mm -hmm. is virgin olive oil or extra virgin and olive honey. oil and honey. And they they take turns going for first position on that whole thing. So it is a big deal. And it's, it's yes. one of the things that the importing of that type of honey that comes in from the other countries that affects all the beekeepers here mm -hmm. in the United States. It's the same thing for like our listeners down in Australia. If you are in a country and you're producing your own honey, but your country is consuming way more honey mm -hmm. than produce. you produce, and they're getting it from other countries. If those other countries are adulterating it, selling it at a cheaper price, 
the local beekeeper cannot compete with that price unless That's you right. educate the end consumer on the value of your honey, the the true quality of the honey, and then why mm -hmm. the price is what it is for that honey, because yes. it's actually honey. And, right. you know, I've said many times before that if we actually charged oh, what my honey would be, if we put all of the costs <laughs> yeah. and expenses into it, you would never be able to afford it. <laughs> well, I mean, and to, to a certain extent, Les and I, we do, our business is not honey. So when we do right. sell honey, we're going to sell it boutique and we're going to make the price, we're going to price it accordingly because it is a whole lot of work and we don't have that much. So like you mentioned earlier, we have a finite quantity of a high-end product. So we are able to kind of market it accordingly. And it's not even what we're counting on for our, um, our income making. We are more of a services company because I think that Every time you focus your business model around honey production, you're tempted by those unethical practices. Um, if you end up selling in grocery stores and or large uh, chain food stores, chances are you're not going to produce enough to satisfy the demand anyway. So as far as I'm concerned, when I go in a grocery store or I go to Whole Foods or whatever, I'm looking at what's on the shelves and I, I'm, I'm, I can kind of tell what's legit and what's not. And, and more often than not, that honey is been, is not either not honey at all, or it's been cut and, and mixed with other honeys uh, without you knowing it. Right. The store, the grocery store thing. So when you do live in a town and you know everybody in that town, because even exactly. Austin, Austin's a big city, but it's still That's a small right. town, a small mm -hmm. world when it comes to this, right? We all know each other. So I go into Walmart. This is also something that I've said on the, the main well, podcast I mean, before. If you're, ask, if you're going to Walmart, of course. Oh, no, 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 no. Check it out, though. I go okay. into Walmart and I specifically go back and I look at the honey section because I was going to be doing a presentation on honey uh -huh. and I wanted images of cheap store honey on the shelves and to right. show you all the varieties and they all come from everywhere, but here. Right. Right. But there was one Packer producer on the shelf and they had two jars, bottles, plastic bottles, side by side, identical bottles, identical shaped labels, identical font on the labels. But this label was a different color and had a different name. And the mm -hmm. other label was a different color and had a different name, but the, everything mm -hmm. else about them was identical. Yeah. And when you flipped them over and you read the back, they were both made by the same company. But here was the kicker. The one that had the company's name, which is what everybody knows here in town, yes, was $9. And the same thing that they sell across the country on an off-brand name was $5. And it was yes. the same freaking product. And for a long time, that was the same in the regular grocery stores as well, because I have seen and I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And it, that one kicked me though. Cause I was just like, really like side by side, you're selling you, now you can literally see, and it was perfect for the example to bring into the clubs and show them, this is what can happen. And yes. when you do that here, they're like, I know that company or I know those people. And I'm like, right. And the bottle right beside it that is $4 cheaper is the same company and the same honey. So they're charging you more because you know their brand name here. And they and you think they're local and that's right. local honey. And, and it's so not. they're they're able to charge you more. But in reality, it's not at all. It's being imported from other countries, other yeah. states, you know, and that's Mexico, that's India. Yeah. And that's one of the things that like I have a distributor that I will work with sometimes that the majority of their stuff comes from the United States, mm -hmm. but it's still not coming from Texas. And yeah. there's there's certain types of honey that you can go through and figure that out. There's also varietals are a good way to kind orange of give that blossom away. Or, right. Uh, Where does orange blossom grow? Yeah. Not in Guardio. central Texas. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you find a local beekeeper in central Texas that has 500 or less colonies and they're all in central Texas and they are mm -hmm. not commercial and they do not travel, they should not be able to sell you varietal honey that is alfalfa, mm -hmm. clover, orange blossom, wahio. Mm -hmm. Because none of those things are here. The closest you can get for us in our area is mesquite. And that's it. And even and then, you're walking that fine line of does mm -hmm. it have 40 to 60% of just that one source that's true. or not? Mm -hmm. Because so even have, the... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I apologize. I, I have seen and I have been there when those people actually were talking to their suppliers and paying their invoices, buying that honey. And I know they had their logo on there yeah. later down the street, yeah. later on the time, right? So yeah. I'm like, 
what are we doing here? Who are we fooling? And how ethical is this? Right. It, it, it turns into basically just the dollar sign. You end up with back alley type of deals where people are in the night of the dark, in the dark of the night, are going to conferences in you know big schools and are talking to those commercial beekeepers that are you know either packers or, or uh, you know wholesale uh, providers and they're buying those five gallon buckets at a time and they're right. shoving them in the back of their vehicles. Right. I have been there. I've seen it. Right. And uh, and then taking it home to kind of either dilute their own honey or pack as their own and and, and sell. Um, and they don't, I'm, I'm not even sure if they know what's in that honey, where it right. came from. And what's important to know and why it's important is because a lot of the bulk honey that's in this country is indeed imported. We don't produce enough honey in this country for the demand. Period. No, we don't, I don't know we don't produce, of any country that does. No, we don't produce uh, except nearly maybe enough. for China, and that's the the, the issue. But, but how much do they really produce versus manufacture? Well, how much of that is that really honey? Right. right, is the question. So what happens is that this is the kind of scheme. I was reading an article just uh, today, actually, uh, about India is having such a big problem. Their beekeepers are not making any money anymore. They cannot afford to stay in business because it's more expensive for them to stay in business than what they can afford to sell, what they, what they can sell because they can compete with. Uh, and apparently those are imports from China that are um, getting imported on sugar syrups and it's called golden syrups. It's, go it's called... Um, um, uh, high fructose, tapioca fructose syrup, uh, honey blend, fructose rice syrup for honey, all kinds of things. And that's when it's actually disclosed. But now they have even just kind of um, syrups that are rice-based that are not even disclosed as such. And the, they can pass all those tests and they get imported so into India and then they get um, exported to the U.S., but even uh, in India now, they've got facilities that have learned from the Chinese companies how to make those locally. So they don't even have to import them anymore, meaning there's less and less traces of what's going on as far as shenanigans are concerned. Yeah. So it's a really shady business. And the, what is really irritating me uh, is that, especially in the era of COVID, where people are buying honey for its antimicrobial, antiviral, and health properties. Uh, and they think they're getting that and, and, and they're feeding on, on that honey to make them stronger. It's right. actually making them Weaker. less healthy and, yeah. and fatter and more prone, more susceptible to uh, COVID problems. So it's, it's, it's a criminal is yeah. all there is to it. And mm -hmm. if you turn around and you look at the concept of like our honey, if you have pure, real, raw, local honey, it can have, especially depending on how you extract it. Like I do crush and strain because I have a lot of top bars. Mm -hmm. You're going to get more pollen in that just from the act of crushing and straining it. Mm -hmm. um, when you do the extractor, you're not necessarily as much because the pollen will actually stay in the comb and the That's liquid right. will fly out of the comb. But you're going to have trace amounts of the, the pollen in there. And then you've got all of the enzymes and all of the, the, the amino acids mm -hmm. that are in honey and in pollen together is literally the full complement that any living creature needs to survive. Yes. All of those things are in there. They make them healthy. They make them beneficial. And the actual way that the sugar structure is formed, even mm -hmm. though it is still your simple glucose, fructose, dextrose, the way that it is formed in those structures in there, it's almost like a chelated type effect that your body can absorb more naturally and it doesn't have some of the weird or bad effects that the other That's stuff right. can. You replace mm -hmm. that with corn syrup and you're sitting there guzzling jugs of corn syrup. Mm -hmm. None of that is healthy for you. It's spiking the sugar because it's not the same structure of sugar. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and there's none of the other beneficial aspects to it whatsoever. <laughs> That's right. So those enzy enzymes, those amino acids, those flavonoids or, or uh, phenolic compounds, all this stuff, uh, the minerals, the oligo, oligo elements, the oligosaccharides, all the phytochemicals, all this stuff that's in honey is what makes it good for your immune system and your health. That's make it, that makes it antimicrobial, antiviral, and all that stuff. But the, the rice syrups, any of those syrups is actually inflammatory. It actually decreases the strength of your immune system. Yeah, so, it causes other issues that your body then has to focus on, and it mm -hmm. can't then focus on what it needs to be doing, which is fighting off the viruses and bacteria and stuff that gets in your body that should not be there. 
Yep. So now they're using um, resin-based filters, ultra-filtering, to try to uh, kind of clean off that honey from um, toxic compounds like those antibiotics I was talking about, those pesticides, even clear off the pollen so that they, you know, it's untraceable which country they come from. Right. And, and that's really, you have to, to get it through those filters. You have to heat that honey, which destroys the enzymes. If it was honey in the first first place, which is not. You've now, so, you've now rendered it inert. So it exactly. no longer has any active living properties to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then it's you, not scary. Yeah, Enough, you, you filter it, you pass it, you heat it, kills all the stuff, pass mm-hmm. it through a s- extremely high micron, uh, micro, I cannot think anymore, um, micron, micron filter, filter mm-hmm. that actually strips everything out of it but the liquid. So any mm-hmm. type of solid, anything out of there is gone. So now all your pollen's gone. It can't be traced. It doesn't have any of the beneficial properties of that anymore. Right. And what you're left with is sugar. And That's not right. only that, but when you heat honey, when you heat fructose, I was specifically, get to that. Yes. it creates hydroxymethylferferol, which is HMF. toxic to insects and bees. And it's not actually good for people. That caramelized smell when you make toxic. candy mm-hmm. is the process of actually making HMF. And it can actually be degradatory to mm-hmm. the human body, just like it That's can right. insects. <laughs> so... So the moral of this story is uh, I would be highly skeptical of what you find uh, on large volumes and on grocery shelves of any kinds. And also I would tend to recommend if you are really serious about the beneficial properties of honey, I would talk to your local beekeepers. Now, once this whole honey cheating business is uh, aside, there's also one last thing I want to mention is that about 95, 97% of beekeepers put pesticides into their colonies to treat pests and decrease those uh, pest levels. And that can actually be uh, leaching into the honey and at the very least the wax that's lipophilic. And, uh, but they don't tell you that. So no. it can still be a local beekeeper and you can still buy product that hasn't been heated, that's not necessarily ultra filtered or anything, but that still contains more pesticides than you really want to see in your honey. Yeah. So that's there's a reason why on all of the types of treatments, literally all of them, with the exception of one, say that you must remove all honey supers mm-hmm. before using this treatment. And yeah. that that doesn't mean that just when the nectar flow is going, it can already mm-hmm. be capped honey. You have to remove it. It could be empty comb. You still have to remove it because exactly what you said, the mm-hmm. wax absorbs anything that is an oil type base. And all mm-hmm. of those chemicals are, it absorbs into the wax. And then eventually the wax can get super saturated and leach it back mm-hmm. out into the brood or into the nectar or the honey. That's right. And then there it is. And now you've got, cause honey itself is hydroscopic. So yeah. that means it is devoid of moisture to the point that it is so desperate for it. That will that suck if, it in. That's right. If a bacteria molecule hits it, it eviscerates it because it shreds it to suck the moisture mm-hmm. out of it. So it's also then pulling and you've got this wax that is then super saturated that mm-hmm. is releasing and the honey pulls in those toxins yeah. and then you've got it that way too. So it is, it is really like a minefield. Honestly, I was going to say a double-edged sword. It's just a minefield. Like yeah. be careful where you step when it comes to honey. <laughs> it, 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 look, I mean, I think that realistically speaking, there's only a very small amount of beekeepers that are producing good quality, uh, honest, good, honest to goodness, um, type of honey that's not contaminated by things and that hasn't been heated or that's been kept properly. The other thing that um, a lot of beekeepers might not know is to preserve the freshness of your honey. If you're not going to consume it right away, you can put it in the freezer. And the freezer is going to stop any kind of alteration that happens over time, especially with heat, where you still have a small amount of those HMFs, those hydromethylphenol that you were talking about, that's still going to build up over time. Well, if you and crystallization will happen over time as well. If you freeze that honey right away, then it will preserve those enzymes. It will preserve all those that goodness and those vitamins and anything that's in there. And your honey will last longer. It will not freeze per se because there's not enough water in it. It will turn to a glassy state, uh, but it will really keep it a lot longer fresh and and, and, uh, quality products. So, you know. Yeah. Don't ever put it in the refrigerator because I don't make it crystallize (laughs) almost instantly. Um, But the freezer does almost put it into like suspended animation. Mm -hmm. And if you have it in a jar with like an air bubble at the top, 
even after it's been frozen for a week, you can take it and flip it over and that air bubble will slowly, slowly move back up to the top because it's so still slowly. a liquid form. It's not a it's frozen a solid. It's state. Yeah, yeah. It's, it still runs ever so slowly. Yep. And that's that's how we actually store. I've got a deep freeze dedicated just to comb honey and five-gallon right. buckets. <laughs> so this is why I think we, we don't have that much. So this is not our business model. So I'm not trying to sell my honey. But what I'm, I'm going to say is this is why when I talk to people, I will tell them that our honey is completely raw because there's raw and completely raw, by the way. you can Some people can still call their honey raw if they heat it up enough for it to be liquid enough to go to uh, bottling and filtering and all the stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if it's completely raw, it's never been filtered. I mean, heated. And then the other aspect of things is that I, I tell people, uh, our honey, when we have any, comes from organically managed colonies. So I've gotten a little flack for that, but it's the truth. We haven't put any kind of foreign compounds in there. We are managing them organically. We're not right. putting any foreign substance in there. So, the, trick, the trick with that phrasing is organically managed. You're not saying it's right. organic honey. You're oh. saying that your management practices are organic. So tell us why you cannot say this is organic honey. Well, that is because you cannot control where the bees go. So even right. the apiary that is out, my main apiary that you guys hear me talk about all the time, Les and Natalie are actually going to be taking over that location. Yes. And so it is on a former, it, when I first started, it was an active organic farm. Mm -hmm. And to be certified as an organic farm, your farm area, and then every open piece of land around you for X amount of distance has to have organic properties, no mm -hmm. treatments, no pesticides, no herbicides, no fungicides. All of that stuff comes into play. Well, the kicker is your bees fly further than the restrictions mm -hmm. that are placed for an organic certification. Mm -hmm. So you can't control where they're going anyway. And to find an area where you can guarantee they're not flying further than that restrictive zone and foraging on something that was then treated or that somebody's house treats their little garden there and That's they're right. foraging on that and bringing it back. Like you yeah. can't guarantee that. So you cannot actually say that your honey organic is organic. Honey. You can't, and you don't know where it comes from. <laughs> with one exception is what you see in some grocery store at some, uh, some bottles will say organic honey. If you flip that around and you look at the label, it's always imported because the yes. only countries that allow organic certification for honey are not in America. I mean, right. it's not America. It's, it's uh, not the United States. It's in usually in Europe. Yeah. And those are also countries that have been way more restrictive on what Ranges. can be done. And mm -hmm. they have a lot more, they have bans on certain pesticides mm -hmm. and chemicals that can and can't be used. And you also, you do run into certain in, uh, instances sometimes where say you're an island nation and none mm -hmm. of that stuff's allowed on your island nation and the bees, therefore anything they forage on is going to end up being organic because mm -hmm. there is no inorganic pesticides or chemicals or synthetic properties that are right. being used. So you can run into those, but here in the United States, no, <laughs> it's not a thing. It's going to be important. Yes. Yep. It's not a thing other than a marketing tactic. That That is it on that part. Now, when you have the chance of knowing a beekeeper that produces that quality honey, um, that's going to be very finite. So just be aware it's only season specific and season dependent. Very often they will run out of their stores mm -hmm. and their reserves before the new crop of harvesting uh, takes place. So I would say uh, appreciate it for what it is. And also when you try it, note that the taste will be completely different from what you have ever had before. That's right. And it changes every time. Mm -hmm. So I, at the moment, I still have like three or four buckets left of honey. Mm -hmm. Two of those have a very, to me, I've let multiple people taste them and apparently I'm the only one that gets it. But to me, it almost has a smoky taste mm -hmm. and that irritates the crap out of me. But everybody else is like, oh, it's it's almost got like a like a little Barbecue? hint of like a sour kind of note here or there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, there's there's an overwhelming thing that I pick up that apparently you're missing, you know. Right. But so those two buckets taste very similar to each other. The next bucket, mm -hmm. which was the extraction prior to that, has a completely different flavor palette because every colony is foraging, even though they're in the same yard, they're in the same 40 acre patch. They're going different directions and foraging on different things. And so every one of those hives has a very unique signature for that mm -hmm. season. 
Next season, that signature will change That's because right. the floral patterns will change. <clears throat> your bloom patterns will change. And so it's it's constantly evolving, but it absolutely is not anything you've ever tasted in the store. The it's consistency, the flavor, mm -hmm. the 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 um complexity of the flavor, the all texture, of it. You said yeah. The consistency. Even. So, like um, yeah. I have some honeys that I will harvest in the spring that are 18% or lower on the moisture content, but they're mm -hmm. extremely thin. And mm -hmm. it it doesn't make sense because you're like, this is runny. This means it's a lot of moisture, but then you do the moisture test and you're like, it's not a lot of moisture. So he's amazing. Yeah. And then you've got other honey that's at the same moisture content and it is thick and it barely moves when you try mm -hmm. to pour it, you know? So all of those things can be taken into note, but if you get honey and you taste it and it tastes like the honey that you've always bought from the grocery store, that should be I your first run. indication yeah. right there. Something's probably wrong because mm -hmm. it should never taste like what you get off the shelf in the grocery store. And this might be controversial and I might be getting myself in trouble, but I think that if you have any kind of large honey supplier in your area, I would be somewhat doubtful that all of that is theirs. Well, I so here's, be... here's a good way to figure that out. If you can ascertain how many hives they have mm -hmm. that they themselves truly own, you of should their very own, easily yes. be able to backwards engineer the math and figure That's out how right. much honey they should be able to produce on average. And uh, colonies that they're managing doesn't, they don't count because no. those are not, they're, they're not gonna harvest that honey for themselves. They're gonna harvest that honey for their owners right. potentially, but they only have a certain number of colonies that are actually their own that they put in forage yards. And that's where the production comes from. And that, I don't know any beekeepers uh, around us anyway, or in Texas that has a, enough colonies to supply the quantities that we are seeing in different stores. Right. So for instance, if you have a, so there's, there's two different ones that I will use as examples here. Technically there's three, I'll use all three of them. Mm -hmm. Um, the local one for here in Austin that uses mm -hmm. the big yellow label that says local, mm -hmm. no longer owns any hives around here, period. I heard there is another one that has the same name in the title as mm -hmm. the city where it is produced. They no longer own any hives except for just a few. Mm. There's a third one just outside of town. I'm coming up with more now. So now there's four. Mm -hmm. There's a third one just outside of town that used to have about 200 hives. Now they just have like five to 20 that they use for demonstration purposes and trainings and the classes that they teach. No honey production from those. Mm -hmm. There's another one that was outside of town that's closer to where Ken lives that at one point in time in their heyday, they did have over a thousand hives. Now, oh, they, wow, have, now they have less than a hundred, mm -hmm. but all of those scenarios, you're looking at 100 or fewer colonies, yeah. in some cases, no colonies, mm -hmm. and yet you find them in nationwide chains where you can buy that name that of honey cool. yeah. outside of the state of Texas. If you even have a, like 500 hives, you should not be able to supply a chain that mm -hmm. is through the state of Texas itself, let alone the whole country. Yes. So that's a big indicator right there. If you're like, oh, how many hives do you have? I've got 200 hives. Awesome. How the bleepity bleep are you selling to Walmart in, yeah. you know, New Mexico? You, you know how they're selling to, you know, that volume. Oh, yeah, because uh, it's not say, theirs. <laughs> that's right. But the problem, John, and that's where I think ethics and beekeeping is lacking, is that they will not tell you, but they also will get hyper defensive and sometimes even borderline criminal. I had heard a story of somebody uh, going to one of those uh, larger, you know, honey Packer producers, producers, yeah. Packer producers and asking questions about their beehives and where are your hives and all this stuff. And they got um, told to leave the premises and they were calling the police and they were they getting very belligerent. Downright vicious. Yes. Mm -hmm. I saw some of that on social media. I think you actually shared um, some of that over and that was like. That was another turned. one. The, the most recent one that's going on is actually they're getting. Um, there's the lawsuits going on. Former there, employee that yeah. got fed up with all the lying and, and cheating and and, and, and quit and called them out. <laughs> filling the beans with pictures <laughs> yeah. of invoices uh, to back up their claims and all yes. this. I mean, 
there was um uh, yeah there's all kinds of shenanigans going there is on. Just, there is unfortunately you know. yeah unfortunately that is true um so like to, to kind of put things in perspective from since how you guys obviously you know you hear me every week poor poor people um, <laughs> so to put things into perspective like for myself when i first started off I had two hives. That was the whole goal. And then mm -hmm. by the end of that year, I had 13 hives and the end of the next year, I had 25 hives and the end of the next year, I had well over a hundred hives and only yes. 50 of them were manageable hives. Right. The rest were removal hives that I hadn't figured out what to do with yet. Mm -hmm. And I had to come up with a business strategy and a plan on like, how do you rehabilitate these and move them through and cycle through my stuff. But I found out very quickly that 50 was my threshold because mm -hmm. without hiring an employee, I could well, go do one removal every single day, seven days a week, go out to the removal yard and drop that hive off, check a few of the hives to make sure that maybe they've got a queen or they don't, or everything looks good, or that they didn't mm -hmm. abscond, then go to the main apiary and touch 10 more hives before I went home so that at the and end of the week, mm -hmm. I have checked all of my hives. Mm -hmm. That was a lot. And so that was my point where I was like, this is the sun comes up and I leave. And I'm driving home after dark. I pass out exhausted and get up and yes. do it again. Because it's hot I, in Texas too. Oh God, yeah. Then that, that's that's a whole nother story. That's not counting like the mm -hmm. heat and the humidity and anything else. But so that was my breaking point. And that was where I was like, okay, I, I can't do this. So honey producing colonies for me, when you hear me say 46 colonies, that's not counting removal hives. That is mm -hmm. just my normal managed colonies that I use to produce my honey. Mm -hmm. Now you turn around and you look at the fact that some of those are top bars. Some of those are Langstroth. So you're going to mm -hmm. have different honey productions. Some of them are in two foot hives. Some of them are in four foot hives, you know, so there's, there's different capabilities and depending on how you're managing them mm -hmm. and how quickly, you know, how frequently you're out there doing the stuff can drastically change what you get. Then you've got the mm -hmm. flow that happens. So mm -hmm. the very first thing that I was ever approached with was a restaurant, a local restaurant <laughs> to Austin that was like, we want to sell your honey. Yeah. And we want to buy like a gallon a week. And my heart stopped because I was like, do you know how much honey that is? <laughs> <laughs> that's a oh, lot of honey. That's a lot well, of honey. The other thing I would say is uh, working those colonies and managing them for honey production is a lot more work than managing them for just staying alive and just yeah. doing their thing. There's a lot of timing um, that goes into it. Mm -hmm. You've got to be very, very conscientious of their flow and their calendar, not necessarily You don't want just them yours. to swarm. You want them to right. produce. There's a whole lot of management that goes in that's not as complicated when you're doing it. You're using the bees as services. You're placing them. You're renting them out. You're you're potentially selling bees. Well, selling bees is also a lot of management. But um, if you're just doing services and you're not trying to get honey production, it's not as much work. The other thing that's a lot of work is the harvesting process. And if that's not enough, there's also the extraction process and then add to that the bottling and the labeling and the promoting right. and the taking all, it to the market all done by hand by one mm -hmm. individual yes it it is <laughs> it, it eats up your entire life that's also why i said if you add in every time you drive out to the apiary to check on that colony the mm -hmm. mileage and the fuel just that alone makes that's the honey right. unaffordable for everybody that's exactly you know, right. like if you if you add that in there and then when you turn around and you take into kind of the consideration of the fact that like I am creating the labels. I'm designing mm -hmm. them. I am then printing them. I am then physically putting them on every single jar. Okay. I'm filling the jars, cleaning the jars, sanitizing the jars, like all of the stuff, and then packaging it and shipping it and delivering it and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, um, but so because of that, there have been times that when I went ahead and made that deal with the restaurant, I then had mm -hmm. to guarantee that I was going to have that honey available, which means when I do my extraction, pressure. Yeah. I already have to have calculated up the math to be able to provide at least two gallons a month to this restaurant for 12 months. So all that has to go into storage. That all goes into a deep freeze mm -hmm. and that stays there. And I cannot touch it because they are going to need their honey. Then whatever's left over is for me to turn around and <laughs> bottle into the individual jars and sell it, which I make a shitload way more money doing the individual jar than selling them a gallon of honey at wholesale. So the next time somebody came up and said, we want to carry your honey, I was like, no, <laughs> it was an adamant no. <laughs> so I have said many times over um, honey production, the way when it's done right, it's absolutely not worth the work uh, for the income you get out of it. 
right. it's not worth our time. It's no, not it's a, worth it is a lot effort. of time invested for very little return. That's right. So if you're in that position, at the very least, if you're going to sell honey, I would say go for the high end boutique prices, retail, just kind of don't Mark even it sell it yourself. Don't go through commission-based retail. Um, just max out the price to what you feel is comfortable. And I'll be honest with you, if you educate your customers and your marketing is right on spot, uh, spot on, you're still going to sell out of that honey anyway. Absolutely. So it's precious and it should be sold as something precious because what you have is rare. Everything else out there has been adulterated or is not the person's honey. And the only reason that it's worth it for them to do that is because they've got the volume that they can afford to have by buying bulk and reselling. That's right. That's, that is absolutely correct. And even if you are worried about, oh, but if I, if I put $20 on this, like nobody's going to buy it. It's all about educating the consumer. Once they try it, give a free sample. And once they try mm -hmm. it, they're going to be like, oh my God. And then they know you, they know the story of the bees. They know where mm -hmm. it came from. They know that it is the most unique thing they've ever tasted and they don't mm -hmm. mind buying it. And then they come back. And that's how, like, for me, I have waiting lists. I have, I have more waiting lists for people that want the honey at specific times of the year than I that's did for right. people that wanted bees. And yeah. that's when then you have this guaranteed built in residual income, but it's mm -hmm. still seasonal. It mm -hmm. is still, well, when we, when you and I did the discussion on the business of bees, we talked mm -hmm. about how you need to have something for every part of the season. If it's going right. to be your whole livelihood, because the honey is only going to take up a certain portion. You have yeah. to have other things to fill in there. But the selling of the honey, that's why it is seasonal. If you're truly producing it on your own, you're not reselling it, you're going to run out. And then there's a, something else, you know, being be mindful. I would say um, the, if you're in it for the honey sales, you're going to manage your bees and you're going to exploit them and push them a lot harder than if you're not in there for the honey. And then you make your money in different ways, uh, meaning teaching classes, doing apprenticeships, doing services, consultations, all this stuff. Selling bees potentially, although that also pushes you to push your bees a little bit more. Yep. But um, be mindful of that. If you're wanting to do right by the bees, know that any kind of honey production is really going to tend to put more pressure on your colonies if that's the only source of income you're relying on. If you're trying to make money with bees, you can't rely just on honey. You can't rely on just uh, selling bees. Nope. You Again, services as your key. Yeah, you have to not put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, but also, what I would say is that uh, go niche. Yep. Because you're not going to be able to compete on price. You're not going to be able to compete on the volume with anyone. Um, there's too many commercial beekeepers, people that are packers, honey packer producers, um, too many people that are already established. If you're smart, go for the niche and boutique yeah. kind of strategies. Uh, find your own way. Especially if you're in a place like where uh, we are at this exact moment today, mm -hmm. like in Austin, where mm -hmm. you could throw a rock and hit somebody that has something to do with bees. And mm -hmm. if you're in that type of market that is so super saturated, how do you stand out? How do you yeah. distinguish yourself you and and make yourself make a name for yourself. You got to do something different. You got to be unique. You know, there's got to be something to it. Doing, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Best of luck. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's actually working out really well. So oh, I meant, I I meant to our listeners. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I took it for myself because I can still use all the luck I can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. But so, so we, we digress there just a little bit at the end, yeah, but we ultimately just keep in mind that whatever you do reflects on you. So yes, right. the morals and ethics that you use in your beekeeping practices and in your honey cells reflect mm -hmm. directly to you. And it can either be your biggest selling point or potentially mm -hmm. be your biggest your fault and downfall in the end. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you are on the, 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 the right side of that. And you are an individual who stands up for what you believe in and actually goes through and practices what you preach. And I would say, if you're on the wrong side of things, just know that, you know, John and I and Les are educating people around us. That's and true. we will tell people what's going on in the world of beekeeping. <laughs> we, that's true, too. Um, there's so funny little side story here for just a last little tangent, and then we will we will sign off. But um, 
as everybody knows, like I love to tell stories because I Mm -hmm. encounter so many different people and I'm in so many different weird and random situations. Most of them are removal related. Um, Mm -hmm. A good portion of them though are training and consultation type things. And there has been numerous occasions where I have went somewhere and somebody listens to the podcast and they, the first thing they say to me is, please don't retell this on the podcast. <laughs> and if you do, please don't use my name, my you know? Name. <laughs> and I'm, I, I laugh cause I'm like, well, usually those stories, they're either stories where the other person understands and it's all fun and games and like we're yeah. learning and we're moving forward. But there's also the stories where I'm like, you are freaking on crack. And those are not necessarily people that are current clients or anything else. And they're not anybody that necessarily listens to the show, but it is still reality. And there is still a lesson there to be learned for people where you show up in a situation and you're like, why on earth would you ever do that? (laughs) We should do a show just on that. The the outlandish things that people will do with their Vs. Yeah, we we totally could. I've got yeah. years worth of we, stories. We have several examples we can come up, and those are very often very funny. Yeah. <laughs> in the end, uh, they they are. They ultimately are. And and to those listeners that you know, I have been out there and done consultations and things like that for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the times, like uh, David, for instance, I've told many, many, many stories on David, and David's not even here in the state of Texas. I've never met the man mm-hmm. in person at all, but we have lots of conversations and communications via social media and email. And I've went through and helped him troubleshoot some of his hives. And mm-hmm. all, those stories are learning examples where I can okay. give an example of like, so this is what occurred. This is what he witnessed and experienced. This is how I take it. And this is the advice that I would give. And yes. that's all for the point of everybody being able to, like Les says, we all rise together. So we're trying to learn from each other's mistakes and maybe not make those same mistakes if you have that advanced knowledge. Um, it's like foresight and foreshadowing. You know, if you know what not to do, then you can try to avoid those pitfalls. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point of the podcast for season one and two. Learn yeah. from these mistakes that everybody's going to make when you first start, and maybe you can avoid the pitfalls. Or worst case scenario, you can say, well, at least I'm not alone. That's I'm not the right. only person that did that. So I don't feel so bad now. Um, and it's not, I don't want people to feel like they cannot tell their stories or explain what's going on or ask their right. questions. Either. Right. Absolutely not. And most of the time, if, if I do tell a story that is like, if I use somebody's name, it's not a bad story. It's a, no. it's a learning example maybe, or it might be something fun and entertaining, but it's not a bad story. It's when I purposefully leave people's names out that's the stories when I'm like, okay, exactly. we can still learn from this, but this was dumb. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like vacuum bees at the entrance of a hive or whatever. <laughs> You've seen that before. <laughs> that they would okay, get so, very irritated. Yeah. People educate yourselves. That's what you're doing when you're listening to the podcast. So you're um, very much aware of what, how the bee colony works and what to do when you need to do it. Yes. Be mindful. Be mindful. <laughs> Have some freaking common sense. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's just say it out loud. <laughs> All right. Well, there we you got, go, everybody. <laughs> On that note, uh, I hope you learned something today. <laughs> um, thank you all for tuning in for a, a very spirited conversation about yeah. <laughs> ethical treatments of honey <laughs> and, uh, and you also your bees. Know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Uh hope you all enjoyed. Hopefully you got some education in there or at least some laughter here and there and some things, you know, some food for thought on your adulterated honey. And we will be back with you next week for more of these beekeeper chats. So stay tuned. And until then, be good. Be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.